Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Uh, I've just been completely thrown uh, because the <laughs> software that we use to do our podcast has had a tremendous update and as I was pressing go, a countdown appeared and then in my ear all I could hear was Andre saying, oh, a countdown. <laughs> <laughs> Very exciting. We love it. We hit the, you know, refresh. It's time to refresh. It's good. It's good. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. But nevertheless, um, before we get started uh, on today's podcast, um, obviously this is a podcast where we talk about Arsenal Football Club, but we also now talk about our feeder club, Schalke, <laughs> who have um, had one of their players nominated for the Bundesliga Team of the Week. And it is our ex-centre-back, Scrogdabby Staffy. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, Andre, you must be delighted with that news. I am. Look at this. One, he got a clean sheet. 10 out of 12 aerial duels won. Eight clearances, three interceptions. The highest rating on whoscored.com in the Bundesliga last week. And they kept a clean sheet, which is great. Great for them. They, they didn't win. But... <laughs> They, they, didn't didn't you, they didn't win. They kept a clean sheet. You can work out the score yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, what I'd say is, I, I believe, did they play Union Berlin off the top of my yes, head? Yes, I yeah, think so. Who I'd, I'd, I'd have huge question marks over the attack. <laughs> <laughs> if they can't break through a defence marshalled by Mustafi and Klasenac, then what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, good for them. Good for them. Another point on their road to recovery. It's great. Uh, yeah, good for them. Um, obviously, I didn't introduce you because I got very excited by the uh, not only the countdown, but our Schalke update. So, as always, I'm joined by my best friend, Andre Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mr. Dow. <laughs> there we go. We had to get it in. Um, OK, so before we get down to the nitty gritty of the football that's been happening in the last week, uh, we have to commence with our weekly commentary quiz, a quiz where we each select a piece of commentary and the other person has to try and guess which goal we are describing. And this week, I am going to go first, if that's all right with you, Mr. Grayson. Quite all right. Yep, yeah, go for it. OK, so... Omri steps inside, Pires is there. Mm. I'm assuming Pires is, is the goal scorer. He's not. Omri steps inside, Pires is there. Does Thierry not need him? He doesn't need him. Would you like the next part of the commentary? <laughs> I would, I would. Omri will have to do it himself. <laughs> Excuse me. Did you just did something extremely heavy just land on your foot? No, that was a, a, a bit of emotion for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It hasn't helped. Um, I'm really have to do it. Clive Tilsley is a commentator. Pires inside. Henri will have to do it alone. No, gone. I've got nothing. Uh, it is a Champions League goal, if that helps. Okay. It's not against Bayern Munich, is it? It is not, no. That's a lovely goal. It is a lovely goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on, Tom. I'm getting worse at this. It is Thierry's second goal in the 5-1 demolition of Inter Milan. Ah. Oh. To make it 3-1. Oh. Phenomenal. In preparation for for that that piece of commentary quiz, I was uh, doing a, a tiny bit of research, and I was looking at that goal itself, and it's just breathtaking. He picks the ball up on the halfway line and just runs at Zanetti. Zanetti actually does quite a good job of holding him up, and then Omri just beats him again, and it's just absolutely majestic, and it secured a sensational result for Arsenal, as Clive Tilsey said. Mm, that was a special performance. That was. That was one of the most memorable games from my, clearly not with the commentary, but uh, one of the most memorable, <laughs> memorable games growing up um, as well. I mean, it just, that was, I mean, you look back now and I don't think we really understood how incredible that was against that team, those players, especially as we got tonked by them at the Emirates to, to, to turn it round. I know it wasn't two-legged tie, but to, to perform like that in that way was just stunning yeah it really was and it was one of those ones that 
Do you remember back to being in school when you when Arsenal hmm. won, and you always went into school with uh, with your head held high because uh, your team had won? That was yes. on a different level. I went in the next day, and I've never been crowing so much about anything in my life as I was the day after that. And I was, I, re- I remember distinctly that the uh, the Arsenal fans were sweet singing "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot" because it was like a rugby score, and. <laughs> I, I just was singing that to anyone that would listen and I was just gloating unbearably. Um, so that was just a, a fantastic memory. But uh, yeah, definitely one of those ones that uh, you remember where you were and what you did in those days. Is, is it, uh, I'm guessing you watched that in Spain? Correct. It, would you have had different commentary when you were watching it? No. No, okay, I was giving you an out there. You could have just said... Sorry, yeah. yes. It was... Uh, <laughs> Henri dentro es Robert Pires. <laughs> yeah, I won't... I won't... My, my... <laughs> the end. Okay, right. Uh, no, I didn't. But also, nearly every game was watched in a bar where commentary didn't come across in the same way. But I have watched that goal probably a hundred times and there's no <laughs> excuse. So um, yeah, thank very, you for very, trying. Very magnanimous of you to uh, hold yeah. your hands up on that one. <laughs> That's not going to bother Arsenal because they've got Thierry Henry on the ball and Zanetti trying to catch up with him. Henry steps inside. Pires is there. Henry will have to do it alone. Ah! Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to do more research, clearly. But here we go. Right. Are you ready? I think so. You're going to get this. And I'm a bit worried I've done this. But here we go. For emergencies only. <laughs> oh, for emergencies only. Um, is that Cesc Fabregas against Aston Villa with his free kick? It certainly is, yes. Oh, I, I, I had to repeat it to myself just to give me that extra thinking time. Um, <laughs> oh, what a free kick. What a free kick. It's just like, if, you, if, you, if I could give an example of a perfect free kick, for me, that's it. Because it's got power, it's got that curve, it's unsavable. Um, and it's just one of those fantastic memories that I, I've got. And I, I was in the clock end that day, so I was at the opposite end to, the, to where the goal was scored. And it was really, really tense because Aston Villa were actually having a really good season. I think above us. Uh, yeah, I think that took us above them yeah. by beating them. Um, right. And they had the best defensive record um, in the league uh, at that point in the season. And we obviously put three past them that day. Um, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, game to be at. But very, very sad that Fabregas then had to go off after he scored his second. Hmm. Yeah, and there was a lot of that towards at the uh, the end of his Arsenal, um, his Arsenal career specifically. I was in the North Bank Upper. I was, I was in line with the post it goes in, oh, and fantastic. it was, you know, you know, sometimes you're just in the right place in the ground. Particularly then, I was sat wherever I could get a ticket. I think I was with my dad actually, and it was one of those. It was a massive game in the context of coming forth, and I, I think it was just when he sort of entered that real hero status off the bench, free kick, uh, then scores the thirds, put the game completely out of sight. Just brilliant. I mean, what a what a performance from uh, Armand Traore in that game. <laughs> Sensational performance. And also a, uh, a goal of uh, notes from Abu Dhabi to make it 3-0 as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, just uh, three fantastic goals. The second goal by Fabregas deserves a mention as well because not only did he obviously injure himself, but the desire to get forward to essentially wrap the game up um and i think it was walcott that played him through wasn't it It was yeah um, and it was rare, rare uh, efficiently timed pass from theo um but a tremendous finish and uh that was one of the games at the emirates where the the atmosphere was really really good really good um as soon as that free kick went in Emergencies only. He's turned a stale Arsenal performance into something much fresher, much more forceful. They lead against their rivals in the league table through a fabulous Fabregas free kick. Talking of an electric atmosphere, I don't know if you heard the crowd noise on Sunday, 
but it was booming. <laughs> Actually, I've got a question for you. Do you listen with the co- the crowd noise on or the crowd noise off? I listen with the crowd noise on generally. Um, there are some exceptions because whenever I watch uh, a Tottenham game on TV, I cannot bear having their rubbish songs played over and over and over again. And I feel like they overdo it with Tottenham more than any other team. And I don't know if that's just because I hate them so much, but it does my head in. So invariably, if Tottenham are playing, I'll just switch over the sound. Yeah, that's fair. But that's uh, fair. Gen- generally, I have the sound uh, the sound on because I just I prefer having that sort of feel of normality than just listening to the players. But so I, I do think it's sometimes quite interesting with just having the sound off and listening to all the shouts and stuff and what's coming from the sidelines. And obviously, you can usually hear Mikel Arteta being quite vocal. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm sound off for Arsenal games. Uh, every time. Only Arsenal games. Well, also again, the crowd noise has been a bit of an issue. I mean, I can live with hearing Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. Oh, that original song, that really lovely, quick, yeah. uh, tuneful melody. Such good lyricists at the bridge. Um, yes, no, <laughs> there you go. But no, on Sunday, there we go. I mean, uh, what a performance! What a performance! Yeah, particularly, I'd, I'd say the first 55 minutes were very, very good. Um, and we did everything right. Um, and it was so refreshing to see us produce a, a really dominant attacking display. Um, obviously, Leeds United are a team that are often associated with those kind of games that are open. And I think it probably suited us to play a team that were going to try and have a go because there was that space for us to exploit. But also the fact that we went into that game with Aubameyang as our central striker and then the three behind him, being Smith Rowe on the left, Odegaard behind him and Saka on the right. And there's... I, I said to you before the game that they, if, if Aubameyang's not going to get goals or chances with those three behind him, then we've got some serious concerns. Um, because um, if it, that is as attacking a lineup as we've put out this season. And uh, particularly when you factor in having Danny Ceballos in the midfield as well, that was another creative type of player. And I thought we, uh, first half particularly, we were, we were excellent. Defensively sound, very good going forward um, and got the three goals that I thought we thoroughly deserved. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, just just take your mind back, um, it, just to the starting lineup. What did you make of the lineup? I know you sort of touched on it there, but sort of your thoughts. No, Rob Holding. Uh, we knew was, about Thierry. 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 Tierney is obviously who I mean. Um, I, I, I kind of had mixed views because, on the one hand, I really liked what I saw in terms of an attacking sense, um, but then I was I was surprised that Rob Holding was left out. Um, uh, which made me think that maybe he's thinking a bit more towards um, the Benfica game. Um, and I kind of mean that in two ways, because it could be that he's given holding a rest because he's played a lot of football this season and he's planning on using him for the Benfica game. Or it could be that he's preparing David Luiz for that game because he might think he's more suited to playing against that style. So it, it could go two ways with that. So I was a bit bit concerned about that because you never know what you're going to get with David Luiz mm. <laughs> and obviously continue oh, Cedric a left back is not something that we can avoid at the moment um, so there wasn't really much to be said about that but it was I, I was surprised to see Smith row out on the left but pleasantly surprised if that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely I mean I, I think um I think that front three, and and when I say that front three, to be really clear on this, the style of the front three, I loved having that extra creativity from Erdegaard there. And I love the technical security that you get from Saka, Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard. We didn't lose it. I've really enjoyed Pepe in recent weeks, but, you know, much like David Luiz, but in a much more positive way with Pepe, you don't know what you're going to get. And I felt every time we went forward, it was kept up there and moved forward at such a pace. And I thought what was so noticeable was the marked improvement. We've praised Xhaka a lot. But look at Ceballos with, with a number 10 in front of him. He's played his last game prior to this was West Brom, where he was excellent. And I thought he was so good for the first 60 minutes again. And, and just from what we thought we were getting when we first got him on loan, this style of player, a bit Cazorlery, you know, he's very technical, 
he does work really hard as well. And I think that assist for Bellerin's goal is is just a sort of what he can give us. And it's really been lacking from midfield. And I, I thought he was sort of unlocked by having that security in front of him. Yeah, I think I think that's a really, really good point. Um it, it did bring out the best in him, but um but like you say, I'm just gonna touch on Smith Rowe and um Erdegaard um again because the number of little flicks around the corner that they both did. Um, and I think for the first goal, particularly Smith-Rowe flicked around the corner in, in, mm. in the build-up to, to Aubameyang's first. And it was just so refreshing to see us moving the ball quickly. And I thought the setup was very reminiscent of how Manchester City set up and you could see the influence. Um, if we think of when Man City have um, Bernardo Silva out on one, of the, on one of the sides with Raheem Sterling on the other side. And it felt like quite a similar setup in 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 that regard, and I, I think that's probably something which we're going to see more of, and is testament to Smith Rowe that even though Odegaard came in to take over his number ten spot, he still retained a place in the side on that left hand side. Yeah. So I was really really happy to see that, and I thought he put in another good performance. Obviously, he got very very fortunate with his uh, assist for Aubameyang's hat trick. Unfortunate. <laughs> have you have you seen the video of Granit um, Xhaka running over? <laughs> yeah, but can I tell you what I found so funny about that? You know, you want to be like, calm down, Granit. Like he was literally like, he shoot, he tried to shoot. He thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter, Granit. It's a goal. He's like, don't no. like. There's a moment where he points at Aubameyang. He's like, he tried to shoot. Like he's yeah. like. Okay. Yeah. Don't celebrate with him. He doesn't deserve it. He did that by accident. It was a complete accident. All right. Do not celebrate with him, Pierre. Leave him out of this. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just, it's just really really nice to see um us play with that creativity, and it'll be so interesting to see how we um keep that going forwards because I think that has to be something we persist with. Um, in the next few weeks to see how that can develop the team because it's taken the team onto a different level than what we were at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think ultimately we are a team who is playing to the tune of Bukayo Saka um, because he was devastating in the first half and after Alioski getting Pepe sent off, he will regret going to floor back three months ago because the turmoil he faced with our wing wizard Bakayo was not worth it. He destroyed him. And what, what was so impressive is Saka is on such a trajectory now. He is our best player by a mile. He is so threatening. He is so fast. He is so good. Um, and one of the things I, I quite like, because... You know, I know last week we went on a bit, a a bit, (laughs) went on a lot about VAR and referees. And one thing I loved about this was we did not let that get to us. And we took that decision and how it wasn't a penalty. Actually, I've got, I'll I'll come back to that comment in a second. But, (laughs) uh, But how pleasing it was that we didn't let it get to us is a sign of the character coming into the team. And that really made me pleased. We didn't let our heads go down. Because for me, um, in fairness, if Bamford doesn't get the penalty and Saka doesn't, I'm really okay with it. Um, but in the context of this season, they're both penalties, really. I mean, the Bamford one's a bit different, but maybe I'm being maybe I am biased there. But that should have been a penalty. But then also Meslier, how you know, how he how is he not last man? He's tackled the goalkeeper. And if he gets it under control. It's a, it's a, anyway, but he didn't even get booked the goalie for kicking someone over in the box, <laughs> right? Spe- speaking of consistency, sorry just to jump in um, on you there. Um, did you see the Chris Basham incident last night in the West Ham Sheffield United game? No, it's basically an identical situation to David Luiz uh, at Wolves. And but it's it's not like a a minor accidental touch. It's a full on kick (laughs) and he's only got a yellow card, which presumably is because he's gone for the ball. Um, It's it's when you see it, you'll just 
realise how absurd um, the officiating this season has been. <laughs> but, uh, sorry to in- in- interject no, there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And look, it, it, it's crazy. And in the context of this season, more generally, I don't think either the Bamford or the Saka one. Well, the thing with the Saka one is he does beat a six foot three player at full pace who just pushes him over. And I don't really know how it's not a penalty. The Bamford one, he gets closed out. It's a bit different, but yeah. I don't know. But I thought the fact Saka took that, I don't know if you saw the meme with Michael Jordan sitting there. It was like Bakayo Saka when he got that penalty. He's like, and I took that personally. Yeah, he, re- uh, he retweeted it, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. And, and, you know, really impressive, really impressive. And I, I felt all of everything that went on. Um, and I do think, you know, Leeds are one of those bizarre teams because I was actually quite flat after the final whistle because of the way Leeds came back. And I'd been tense for about half an hour and it was just relief. But when you sort of look back, we played some scintillating stuff in that first half. Um, and, you know, when you've got chances coming from David Luiz uh, overlapping the, your right back, um, <laughs> you know that the handbrake is truly off from Arteta, which is which is very pleasing. It is. Um, I know what you mean about that 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 flatness after the game because although you're you're happy with the three points, it was um, it, it it took the gloss off of the the victory somewhat. Just the the way that we sort of let them back in in the second half. Um, and when I when I rang my dad after the game, he was just like, "Well, what do you think of that?" And I was like, "Well, it's it's hard to be too disheartened because we scored four goals and we got three points and we played some good football. So in general, pretty pleased." And he was like, "Yeah, the only the only down point is that we uh we lost the second half two one." <laughs> and I was like, "Dad, I'm all right with that." <laughs> after the fact, I'm all right with that. <laughs> Yeah, we'll take that. We'll take that. That's the least of our worries. And yeah. look, we, we, in the Wolves game, you know, I remember you saying, that's what can happen when you don't take your chances. We took our chances, you know, yeah. and we gave ourselves that cushion, um, which was very pleasing. I think the thing I'm most frustrated about, because we definitely want to look forward, but it's just such a shame we've got Man City, then Leicester in our next two league games, because... Uh, sandwiched. I know we've talked about it sort of from a while now, but it's just such a shame that we've got those two fixtures that will see us sort of highly likely we're knocked back, regardless of how we play. City are playing so well. Um, it's just such a shame that we're we're likely to lose our next league game after sort of recovering that momentum. Yeah, I think this sort of goes back to when we've spoken about how we are essentially a mid-table team at the moment. Um and we spoke about how we are we're maybe not as prepared as some mid-table teams to be able to take those knocks as regularly because what we realistically need to do with the City game is is that's almost a free hit that game because of how well City are playing. Um, and it just has to be you take whatever positives you can take out of that game. And then moving forward has to be the, when we really kick on because... Okay, Leicester's going to be a tough game, but you you fancy our chances a lot more there than you would against Man City um, in, in in current form. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. But it's um, it will be interesting to see how we how we do recover if we do have a setback that we're all sort of imagining. But obviously the the focus has to kind of go more towards uh, Benfica now, who we face on Thursday. Mm. Um, what sort of lineup do you reckon we'll go with? It's really hard, isn't it? Because did did those when when I saw Pepe on the bench, I, I assumed it's because he's nailed on to play Thursday. That's what I thought. But then you look at how they play, played, and you look at Lacazette. I mean, I wouldn't like to pick it. If it were me, I'd want Holding back in. I wouldn't trust David Luiz. Um, to be honest, I I I've got a question for you about his uh, the rumored extension later on, or we'll circle back to it, hmm. but. I think you've got to be looking at, you know, there's no way around it. We've only got two fullbacks at the minute, so that stays the same. I'd bring in holding for Gabriel. The tough one is in central midfield. I, Ceballos has only got 60 minutes, but then you can probably play him for El Nene. Smith Rowe has been absolutely essential in our resurgence. He has to play. Saka has to play. But then picking those final two spots, I mean, I'd kind of be happy with any combination. If that's Erdegaard and Lacazette, for example, I'd be, well, we won't drop a Bamiang. So I presume a Bamiang's one of them. His decision is whether he's down the middle or on the left. 
I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I, I, I think I, I'm kind of with you on that. But I, I, I think on the back of a hat trick, I think you need you need to try and keep him down the middle. And yeah. if he if he's playing down the middle, you've got to try and set up in a way that brings out the best in him. And that that best is is at the moment from what we've seen with Odegaard behind him and then Will Smith Rowe on the left. Um, the problem is going to be is that Odegaard's not played a lot of, a lot of football. Um, obviously, he, he, how long did he play on the weekend? Was it 60, 70 minutes? Yeah, I mean, I'd play Pepe myself. For yeah, because I, I, I think Odegaard will probably struggle to maintain that level for, for another game. Um, so it might be a case of, like you say, bring Pepe in and Smith Rowe then goes into the middle. Um, yeah. So it doesn't change things all that much, except for you've, you've got a, a, a less technical player um, and, and probably not as controlled in possession is Smith Rowe on the left-hand side if you put, bring Pepe in. But I'd be fine with that, personally. Yeah. I've got to ask you something, though, because I, I was about to say, yeah, we've just got to get an away goal, right? Um, <laughs> are, are away goals confirmed? Yeah. So, so right, so we're away in Rome, which is away for Benfica, and then we're at home in Greece, which is away for us. Yeah, something but like... away four, goal is going to count. Yeah, we're something like 400 miles further away for the home game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's madness. Look, I mean, fast. just whilst we're on that, um, how someone tweeted and said someone will go out of Europe this week or next week um, on the away goals rule, having only scored away goals. <laughs> yeah, and that'll be us. Um, <laughs> yeah. I hope we're all mentally ready, guys. Uh, no, I mean, I have to say, so I was having a little look at Benfica's team at the weekend. So they drew one all with a team, Marianese, I believe. Anyway, someone can look it up and correct me. Um, uh, and their back, do you know who their centre-back pairing is? Uh, it's Vertonghen and Otamendi, isn't it? It is, yes. Who, come on. Like they were good players, but even in their heyday, uh, and particularly Otamendi was error prone, yeah. um, capable of good good stuff. But I do think you've got to get someone who can run at them like Pepe. I really do, because I think we can put the tie to bed in the first leg. But I'm very worried about this Europa League tie. And I'm also very worried. I was looking at the draw, right? I was looking at who everyone else has got. I mean, admittedly, Man you have got Real Sociedad who are near the top. So that's a tough draw. Spurs have got Wolfsburger. If they had Wolfsburg, you'd be like, oh, you never know. Wolfsburger. And Leicester of Sparta Prague. <laughs> don't I don't know why that got me so much. I don't know why that got me so much. I have to say, I would eat a Wolfsburger. That sounds... <laughs> if you saw a Wolfsburger on a menu, you'd go, yeah, I could try a bit of Wolf. Um, that sounds like quintessential away day cuisine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at the Molyneux, that's what you have. Um <laughs> But then I was looking at the teams left and I identified AC Milan, Roma, Napoli. I mean, Unai Emery's Villarreal. I mean, talk about a red flag uh, and Ajax. And it's just that this Europa League, you know, because I'm looking at the league. If we lose to City and if we lose to Leicester, which is completely possible, but get through Benfica. This is going to be really hard. This is going to be a really tough ask. It's not like we're going to walk the Europa. The year we got to the final, it was a bit of a cakewalk to the final. But having said that, I'm just so worried about this Europa League tie against Benfica. It's by far the hardest draw um, any of the English teams have got. When they've got ex-Premier League players, especially when, when, when one played for Tottenham, it fills me with dread. They've got um, a very good player up front, Seferovic, uh, who's always been good for the Swiss national team and scores a lot of goals them up front. Big, tall striker. And it's just this impending worry that we've just got to keep 11 men on the pitch uh, and just, just we've got to get through this and hope and build and hope that it sees us through because it's going to be a very, very dull end to the season if we can't get through this. Yeah, I'm just uh, having a look at the um, Primera Liga, uh, the Portuguese They're fourth, league. aren't they? They are fourth, um, and they're well off the pace. Uh, Sporting are leading the way with 51 points, and Benfica are fourth on 38. Um, the only thing I've seen of Benfica this season is I watched them when they played at home to Rangers um, in the group stage. Did they draw three all? They did, and it was really, really, they were really ordinary. Um, and I don't know if that was a case of underestimating the opposition um, or, or whatever, but they, they were really, really poor. Um Obviously, 
a team's not going to play like that against Arsenal, are they? Like, in general, no. teams raise their game against us, um, it seems. And obviously, they'll be a lot more prepared to play us than they probably were playing Rangers. So there's probably not much of a comparison to be made there. But that's my sort of impression of what they've been like this season. And I think from what I've heard, they've been disappointing if you think about some of the players they've got playing for them. Mm. But we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, uh, like you, I'm, I'm probably not as nervous as you I'm, I'm a bit more confident I think um, I'm not really sure where that confidence is built from <laughs> but it's it's there somewhere <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely uh, and I mentioned I'd touch on it and I mentioned I really wouldn't want him playing because of this but what, what do you make of the rumours of the David Louise uh, one year extension because we, we, we did we talk about it on the pod or did we talk about it offline I cannot remember I think we spoke about it offline because I think I, I texted you and asked you about it. Um, and obviously now there are some rumours that he's going to be offered an extension. Um, and I think what I read is because Arteta likes his impact on the youngsters. Um, but I just, for, for me, it's not it's not one that I'm overly excited about because I, I kind of saw this as an opportunity with him potentially going to have maybe William Saliba come in or we obviously we've got um, Mavropanos coming back after this season and seeing what maybe one of them could do um, in that spot in the squad. So I'd be I'd be reluctant if I was Arsenal, but also I from from what you hear, he sounds like he is quite good behind the scenes with the young players. Um, and the more I've sort of read stuff, the more I think that the rumours that he was the one leaking information is probably not true because he sounds like um quite a good character to be uh around the squad so bit 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 two-sided in that because i as i say from a football standpoint not really i don't really want it but you can maybe understand why arteta would want a senior figure there with so many sort of inexperienced or young centre-backs around the club Mm. yeah it's a really difficult one for me you you wouldn't want him playing many games and that says it all to me right that's yeah and that 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 doesn't feel right to say out loud do you know what I mean it's just so much of it feels wrong yeah I I, I don't I don't trust it but also I think it's because I'm so desperate for us to move to the future because you know at the end of the day what we've seen this season it hasn't been acceptable and he's played a lot and that's that's where I struggle with it. But you know, player coach, maybe it works. Maybe it works. Yeah, we'll just have to <laughs> we'll have, we'll have to see. But um, I don't think any Arsenal fan is going to be too excited by that news if it if it does get announced. No, Where, whether you whether you can justify it in the way that I did with half of my dialogue, <laughs> um, that's one thing. But I just like you said, you wouldn't want him being too responsible on the pitch no Um, so yeah we'll just have to see what happens but normally news like that doesn't come with without some sort of uh realism so i agree i'd be quite surprised if that doesn't come to fruition yeah agreed agreed no have to say i agree um and talking of someone like david louise who who no doubt gets um a lot of abuse of course it came out today there was a a study it was a study i didn't realize i thought it was something reported by twitter that looked at the abuse of sports stars, but notably Arsenal. And of course, quite a bit came out about season ticket holders um, to Granite Xhaka. And also, I don't know if you saw the homophobic ones to Hector Bellerin. Um, um, yeah. So having having long hair makes you gay, apparently. So it sounds like every male in lockdown who hasn't got a pair of clippers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I wanted to touch on the abuse because it's something I feel quite sort of strongly about that, that really upsets me because the fact it's season ticket holders, I've always had in my, I've always been able to compartmentalize it because I believe the abuse was from people who basically, I don't know how to put this. I don't live in the UK. I don't want to be that sort of xenophobic. I just mean, I felt like the abuse was from abroad and that a lot of people were sort of saying things when English isn't necessarily their first language and don't realize just how bad and intolerable they're being. Yeah. And I sort of because when you read the abuse and you see some of the stuff, like especially some of the abusive stuff that's horrendous, especially to, to, to black people, it's ho- it's so hard to read. But the English is so incoherent and it's a load of emojis and it, it's sort of 
it's I don't know I was always able to sort of put it in its place that it's just a different ilk of person and it's not someone I've sat next to at the Emirates or near at an away day yet hearing that it's our season ticket holders that is racially racial abuse I just think we've got a huge problem in society at the moment which is just making everyone angry and people are taking out online and footballers I mean how you know, why would you want to be a footballer? Well, there's a million reasons why and millions is, is a big reason. But there's nothing like being a footballer. But I cannot believe it now comes with this brush where you can expect abuse online. And I just think footballers have got to shut down their accounts. As much as it's lovely to see a picture of their family and kids or them training or a little graphic of them getting ready for the game and, you know, fist bumping. I love all of that. I love the social interaction. When you get a player like your post or retweet you, it's a really good feeling because you feel so close to them and connected, but it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's making me, it's so sad because it's every single week. It's every week. There's a different player attacked and I don't understand where the responsibility lies, but it does feel like social media, you know, Twitter, particularly Instagram need to get a handle on this because it's just breaking society. I cannot believe we live in a world in 2021 where an Arsenal player who gives his all, who loves the club. You cannot deny Xhaka. But yeah, he's a bloody idiot. But, but abuse, death threats, all of this. We could talk about it every week. And I just, I don't know how we fix this. You and I aren't going to, certainly. Mm. But just the abuse, it's getting over the top. And I don't understand what could be done to control it. But it seems to be, I don't know whether I'm closer to this, but it does seem to be funneling its way through football in more than any other sort of aspect, if you like. Yeah, I think obviously because we are so emotionally involved in football, um, I suppose it highlights it more so yeah, than true. other industries. But it's also it's the vitriol and it's the tribalism within football that that brings this out. Because the difference with if we look at another entertainment industry, like if someone's a pop star, um, they're not going to face that sort of backlash generally because you don't have people that are opposing that but what is most alarming and most concerning like you touched on is that this is supposed Arsenal supporters abusing their own it, it's illogical it, it doesn't make any sense because it, I mean you don't justify anything like this but at least if someone is abusing someone from another football club you can kind of compartmentalize their rationale you can't justify it. You can't defend it. It's as in, uh, indefensible as if someone's abusing their own. But it just it, the the whole process that goes through someone's head um, of abusing their own players it just doesn't doesn't add up. Um, but as a wider issue, if we park whether you're abusing someone from one side of North London or the other, <laughs> it's 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 absolutely ridiculous that we're in a situation that this is happening and it's happening on a daily basis. Last week we heard Mikel Arteta come out and say that his family have received uh, abuse and death threats. And he was very vocal and said, I can handle it myself. Well, he shouldn't have to. That, that was the thing that came out of that statement for me that he's very big to say, well, no, I can, I can look after myself. But when it's my family, it's different. Well, he shouldn't have to put up with any of it. Granite Xhaka mm. shouldn't have to put up with any of this. Marcus Rashford shouldn't have to put up with racial abuse. Um, you could the list goes on and on and on and on, and it's it's really upsetting. And I'm with you. As soon as as soon as you hear um, Granite Xhaka's have racial abuse um, from Arsenal season ticket holders, you do start thinking, well, I, I I've probably sat next to these people. I've mm. probably been at away games with these people, and it, it's. It's insulting as a supporter to be tarnished with the same brush because we're not the same. We're not the same as these people. We we go to the club uh, to support our team and get behind them and offer encouragement. Yes, we'll get frustrated at certain players, but it doesn't need to be this discrimination that keeps coming out time and time again. Whether it's homophobia, whether it's racism, it, it, it doesn't matter. It needs to stop. And I don't I don't know what the solution is. I, I agree with you. The only thing that really will stop it is if players shut down their social media accounts. And I think that needs to almost be a collective because unless it's a mass thing, if, if, if someone like a Bamiang just went, you know what, I'm done with social media, I'm not going to be on it, people will get over that very, very quickly. 
Whereas if it's hundreds and hundreds of players going, you know what, we don't have to put up with this. If it's like a, a PFA-led approach, then something may well be done to it. But I, I don't know what the short-term solution is. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's what I think it needs to be. And that's what I'd do. Because the, the taking a knee, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, it hasn't achieved, it, it's made it worse online. And that's really sad because the initiative... Yeah. You can think what you like about what kind of statement that is. I do think continuing to do it dilutes the message. Yeah. And I think more needs to be done. But I think where are these people getting targeted? It's not on the street because no one would dare talk like that to a footballer face to face ever. And they'd knock them out and they deserve it (laughs) because, uh, you know, and that's what I think it needs to be. And I I hope that something like this is being thought of because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it's it's really hard to read. And again, because I, you know, what people know me for is being a football fan, right? First and foremost, that is most people yeah. know Andre, sports arsenal, mad about football. And I am bundled in with those people and I want to dissociate myself as far as possible from them. And it's just very sad that that's the case. I am also talking out the other side of my face here because if you've ever heard me at ground talk about a referee... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll know that I'm not exactly polite. But there, but there's there's such a massive difference between um, calling someone a wanker. There goes the uh, oh, warning. I thought we were going to make it 40 minutes. <laughs> not bad. Not bad for us. But there's a big difference between doing that, which let's be honest, everyone who goes to football does that. It's yeah. just it's almost part and parcel of it. But getting really personal with people and being uh, discriminatory against people for stuff that they can't help, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm so fed up with it. Mm. Um, um, Last year, when we played Leeds in the FA Cup, um, so this is an example of when when I've actually seen racism happening at a, at a football match. So I was in the ground and I was right next to where the Leeds fans uh, were because obviously when in the cup they get an extra allocation and there was Leeds fans in the upper tier and I was right next to them. And there was um, a couple Leeds fans that were being racist towards a couple that sit, sit quite near me. And I went up to one of the stewards and said, um, I've, I've heard a few times now them say, something which is racist and they went yeah yeah we know and I was like okay is anything been done about it and he was like we'll, we'll take care of it and and that was it there was no repercussions because no one approached these people at the ground hmm. and it's it's this anonymity that people think they have obviously on social media it's a different thing because people can hide behind pictures they can hide behind screen names uh, it's very difficult to trace who is doing what and it's kind of it's a bit different in a football ground, but even in a stadium of sixty thousand people, people can get away with it because it's very difficult to specifically identify individuals. And obviously, the stewards that are there, stewards don't get paid an awful lot of money. They don't want to go up to people and get punched in the face for saying you're being racist. Um, but there needs to be a process. There needs to be something in place. And we're always assured that things are in place. And we're told to report things if we see them, but it's not—it's not getting anywhere. It's not—it's mm. not solving the problem either at football or on social media. <laughs> yeah. So something needs to be done. But as as you as you said, it's it's a case of what. And the only thing from a footballer's standpoint is going to be doing this enormous blackout of just saying, you know what, we're off social media. Yeah, I think that might be the way. I think that might be the way. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh... I'd say it's an interesting subject, but it, whilst it is interesting to discuss, it's it's very sad. It's very sad. So it's really upsetting. Really upsetting. And uh, obviously, I knew you wanted to speak about that, and I hadn't really thought about it that much. And then, obviously, your your sort of opinion on it was very emo- uh, emotive, and it's kind of obviously got my tail up as well. So uh, <laughs> clearly, um, clearly, clearly. Well, but, well, uh, on 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 the emotional wave. I think we need to go to our themed goals to lighten the mood as we look forward to, <laughs> to our European conquests. We do. So this week we have decided that our theme for the week is going to be uh, Europa League knockout goals. Um, we've also allowed entries from the UEFA Cup 
So that's obviously um, before it got rebranded. <laughs> and dare I say, uh, the competition's become somewhat diluted since they rebranded it as well, because I don't feel the same passion that I did when it was UEFA Cup. Um, however, we've got four more goals to choose from this week. And Andre, I'm going to let you go first this week. Yeah, so so thank you. Uh, mine is, uh, do you know what? I, I've been picking goals because of pure emotion and the story behind them. But this one is just for pure quality. So it's it's Aaron Ramsey's goal against CSKA Moskva. Sensational. Yeah, thank you. Um, he he runs. Ramsey had this art of of running in behind at the most with the most perfect timing, and I think it's Mikatarian who dinks the ball over the back four, and Ramsey's timed his run to perfection. He's on the corner of the six yard box. He looks over his shoulder. He sees the keepers running towards him. And before the ball lands, he flicks it over the keeper with his heel, looping it into the far corner. And it is just sublime skill. And the thing is, Ramsey was was, was vilified often for his tricks and flicks. But I always loved his ambition and his desire to come up with something different. And that goal, his ingenuity, his bravery to try that in a Europa League quarterfinal was just sensational. It's one of the most skillful goals I think I've ever seen. Um, just pure, ah, oh, what a brilliant goal from Ramsey and set us on our way to a, a successful tie. It's one of those goals as well that I, I always compare it, um, that specific goal, in terms of... Um, cheekiness and audacity um it's one that i look back to um olivier Giroud's scorpion kick because that's one that it's obviously he's just flung a leg at it and it's just like a although it's exceptional it is one of those ones that it just nine times out of ten that's not going to come off (laughs) but the aaron ramsey one is just pure craft and pure ability that has allowed him to do that and it's just it's so nonchalant and it's meant and that's what I love about it, because there's not any luck involved in it. It's just pure ability and meaning to do exactly what he did. And that's what I love about it. It's just a fantastic moment, a fantastic goal. And it came at a really important time as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's no question. You're deliberate is exactly it. But uh, yeah, wonderful goal. Wonderful goal. OK, so... I'm going to take us all the way back to uh, the year 2000 when we were in the UEFA Cup. So this is a long time ago now. So we're talking 19, 20 years ago (laughs) that this took place and uh, starting to show our age a little bit now, um, which at 31, I didn't think I would be doing. But uh, (laughs) anyway, and from this cup run that took us to the UEFA Cup final, where obviously we sadly lost to Galatasaray on penalties in one of the worst shootouts that we will ever take part in. <laughs> um, but we, we scored some fantastic goals in, in this run. And there was two that I was torn between when I was selecting one of these. And one of them was Ray Parler's first goal away at Werder Bremen. Um, mm. which was a really fantastic shot with the outside of his right foot into the far corner and it hits the post and bounces back in. But the one I've selected was actually in the semi-final against Lons. Um, and the reason why I selected it is because I love things that are slightly abnormal in football. And what was abnormal about this was that we played in our wake here, even though we were the home side. And I, I, at the time, I just didn't understand why that was a thing because I was obviously really young and I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. Why are we, We're at home. Why are we playing our way here? But it makes the goal even more iconic. And the goal itself is really uncharacteristic of Arsenal because it's Emmanuel Petit picks the ball up in the middle of the pitch and notices how high the Lons back line is and lost a really lovely pass over the top. And that's what made it so un-Arsenal-like because it was just essentially a ball over the top. Bergkamp then runs in behind. The goalkeeper is caught in no man's land and is is way out of his goal. Bergkamp knocks the ball around him. And before the ball is even stopped bouncing, Bergkamp hits the ball and curls it into the the near post. And it's just a fantastic finish. And it happened in the first couple of minutes of the game as well um, and was the only goal of that leg. So it really did set us on the way to the final. Um, but I just love the goal and and it, it kind of was a bit of a revenge as well because Lons knocked us out of the Champions League the year before as well. 
So it was one of those moments that was a bit of uh, a bit of parity for uh, things that had happened in the past, but uh, a really fantastic moment and a uh, a goal taken in a way that only Dennis could take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, beautifully explained. Beautifully explained. Gosh, year two thousand. I remember. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, feels like feels like it was yesterday. Twenty one years now. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? It's mad. It is. It's, I cried my eyes out after that Galatasaray shootout. I think I just locked myself in my room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not coming out. <laughs> understandable, understandable. Um, so uh, my my next goal is uh, well, I've I got to talk about this sort of whole experience of 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 the goal and sort of what it meant so and 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 the whole tie itself so I went for a a Lacazette's header against Atletico Madrid in the semi-final in Wenger's last season I watched a four minute highlights package of this so so we nearly score after six minutes Lacazette hits the post uh, after eight minutes, Shime Vrasaliko, uh, there you go, there's pronunciation for you, the Croatian right-back, is sent off, second bookable offence in eight minutes, unheard of. And we're playing against ten men. Who goes to right-back? Thomas Party. This is littered with stories. Anyway, 12 minutes, Bellerin's up the arse of Lucas Hernandez, uh, the left-back, knocks him over. Simeone screaming for a, for a, red, uh, for a yellow card for Bellerin. He's sent to the stands. It is n- never has a semi-final gone our way more. Oblak, the Slovenian uh, brick wall, will not let anything past. And it is one of these ties that you are so full of emotion. There was so much about this tie that meant so much with it being Wenger, with his desperation to win a European Cup, knowing Marseille awaited us in the final, a tie we could win. This was the final. And we get given this golden opportunity and we are knocking at the door and knocking at the door. And our boy Nacho wins the ball high up the pitch, gets it to Wilshire, who plays a one, two with Welbeck. It's looped over to the back post and Alexander Lacazette, who can't head anything. We've never seen him head a thing out of nowhere. Bullet header past Oblak, one nil. And it was Honestly, it exploded. It was up there with the Barcelona, our Charvin noise, 10-year anniversary today. Um, it was just electrifying. Um, and then, of course, we make that mistake and they concede. And I remember being with my brother-in-law, Danny, and I was outside the stadium. I couldn't bring myself to get on the tube. I was desolate because I knew that was the tie. Because Shelney making an error like that in Europe. And I, I had to get a cab home, an Uber, because I couldn't face it. I needed to just stare at the stadium for a while. <laughs> right. And then and then on the Saturday um, or the Sunday after our game, I, I can't remember who we played, but I went for a Turkish in Boreham Wood and Granite Xhaka was there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you and say I, anything? Yes, of course I did. Well, I was going to Athletic. I was going to Madrid on the following Thursday for the return game, and I sort of gave him a fist bump and went, "We can do it, Granite. We're going to do it, Granite." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we will do it. We didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> we didn't do it. Uh, Shelney snapped his Achilles. Uh, Wenger's last European tie went out in in all too familiar fashion, but it was just. That whole thing, that European competition, just in light of what's coming up, there is nothing like it. And I have to say, the absence of fans is felt more than ever for me because I, I, I Europa, anything, it still can bring that magic of European competition under the lights. You know, especially those games that in the UK where it starts light and it ends dark and you end with delirium. There's nothing like that at this stage of the season and, and European competition gives you that. But I felt like that Atletico game encapsulated Arsene Wenger's Arsenal over 20 years in just pure hope and then pain. <laughs> i tell you what, you've described that so well that I spent all of that with my head in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> abject, depressed, um, but described perfectly, and uh, I, th- I think you're you're absolutely right in what you say about uh, European ties, and I, and I, I don't think there's any question that both both me and you had intended to go to the uh, the Benfica game had we been allowed to away away. 
Absolutely. Um, so that's really disappointing that that's not not able to happen. Um, but <laughs> wonderfully described, wonderfully <laughs> described. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I'll try and raise the spirit slightly with my uh, my my comment for my last goal. So my last goal is uh, I, I felt like I needed to pick a more modern goal because what I tend to do is I, I always harp back to happier times. Um, and this time I'm going to go back to a fairly recent goal. And it's actually uh, Aubameyang's first from the second leg uh, in Valencia, um, the year that we got to the Europa League final. And it's a goal that I love because Valencia had gone 1-0 up and we were really against it. And the tie was 3-2 and Valencia were really up for it. Their fans were really up for it. And you could sense that the momentum had kind of shifted and what we then did to respond was obviously the ball's come forward. Lacazette's won a really, really important header. And as the centre-backs come out to think about going towards that ball to head it, the ball's dropped for Aubameyang. Aubameyang's hit its first uh, first time on the, on the half volley. And it's just arrowed into the bottom corner. And it's just a sensational goal. And it just calmed the nerves of everyone. Um we still had a few nervy moments after that, but that was a vital away goal. And all of a sudden, it made it made the tie far more achievable than, than we thought it was going to be. Um, mm. He went on to obviously score a hat-trick that night, uh, which it annoyed me on Sunday because the commentators completely forgot that he'd scored that hat-trick. And mm-hmm. the amount of times they said his first hat-trick for Arsenal... And I wanted to phone Sky Sports and say, no, it's his first domestic hat-trick for Arsenal. He scored on the European stage. I was furious. Um, it really annoys me, right? I'm going off on a total tangent here. There we go. It really annoys me when I know more about football than commentators. So if commentators say things and they quite clearly haven't done their research <laughs> and I can off the, off the top of my head pull out a fact and be like, no, that's wrong. It really annoys me. Um, that one really got to me, as you can tell. I can tell. I'm surprised it wasn't Ian Dark, your nemesis. <laughs> I hate him. I hate him so I don't much. know why. Leave him alone. Leave Ian alone. He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing to you, Tom. Leave him alone. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, but going back to the game itself, obviously, we ended up winning 4-2. Um I watched the highlights of that this afternoon, and obviously the this, the second goal that Valencia scored was uh, was hilariously bad for us to concede. Um, yeah. But we scored four great goals. Lacazette got the other one, um, and it was just a nice moment because growing up, all I can remember is every year we seem to face Valencia, and every year they seem to put us out. Yeah. <laughs> and it just for me it was just a real another revenge moment where we just like you know what that puts everything else to bed because we've had so many times where you've broken our hearts specifically John Carew yeah yeah I hate John Carew <laughs> I hate him um but it was just nice to get one over them um at their ground yeah absolutely absolutely um I I was at so so where we lived in Spain was an hour and a half away from Valencia so I was at those painful Valencia defeats. Um, and this this game, Tom, was, was Thursday, the 8th of May. And the reason I know that is because my wedding was Sunday, the 12th of May. And Kelly had to stop me going to this game <laughs> because I was so desperate because it's up the road from where my parents live. But it was she she went, Andre, look, I've been very supportive. throughout throughout our whole whole relationship you're the love of my life you're the best person and I'm starting to paraphrase but but you could get stuck there and look it's just it's just one game I know I know you want to go but but please don't do this to me please and I really thought about it and I was it took a lot you know it was it was up in the air Uh, I very nearly went to this game but I didn't to ensure I would definitely get married. I think that was probably a wise decision. <laughs> it was a wise decision. Of course, it was the stupidest decision. thing I could have ever done. But Dad and I did discuss whether it was feasible. It was feasible, by the way, but it was just way too risky. All it takes is air traffic control and you're in all sorts of trouble. But there we go. We made it. We beat Burnley on the day of my wedding. And then we did. On, <laughs> on the wedding day, I was convinced to uh, book my flights to Baku and the rest 
we will not talk about. No, um, <laughs> we, we won't talk about that. But um, yeah, some, uh, some good memories then. It's, uh, it's always nice when we do these different themes and stuff to, to, to look at things from a slightly different angle. And we always get these weird and wonderful stories that sort of creep out. Um, so it's uh, always, always entertaining. Um, and that was uh, no different than normal. Absolutely. And, and that brings our podcast to a close for today. Um, thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can search for us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter by uh, searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. Or if you'd like to go to our website, it's www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Andre, thank you very much for your time as always. It's been so enjoyable and it always is. <laughs> It always is. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. And before we end, I just wanted to, I did notice just in preparation for this, that we have recorded over 30 episodes now, if you factor in the um, podcast specials, uh, nice. podcast specials, the squad number specials. So it's uh, it's been a real labour of love that we've done so far. It is. And, it is. and long may it continue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>